Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Morning, Crosswalk. My name is Dan. I'm the discipleship pastor uh, here at Crosswalk. It's, it's great to have you here, especially if you are a guest or, or someone who's visiting, just checking out Crosswalk for the first time. We're especially happy to have you with us. And, and right now, well, actually it was this morning during the first message, I decided officially this message series is my favorite since I've been here, uh, the shift message series. And if you have not had a chance to listen to the first two messages uh, up to this point, I am going to beg you to go back to our website, to go to the podcast and listen to them. And the reason why is in this message series especially, one builds off the other. And, and specifically, the, the first one where Pastor Jeff just encouraged everyone, you, you just need to keep coming back, that you need to keep coming back to hear God's word. Last week, when we talked about the personal relationship we have with Christ and, and what that looks like when no one else is watching, when it's just you and, and God and your relationship with Jesus through the word, that that is just something you need to foster on a daily basis. Uh, just so important, little changes, just little changes you can make that make a huge difference uh, in your life, make a huge difference spiritually. And, and today we're going to see one more shift. And this shift is going to be a shift in the way that we look at work as we look at ministry and my warning to you is if you haven't heard those two messages, that, that you might look at that and go, man, I'm already worn out, Pastor. You know, really, I, I'm looking for stuff to get rid of, not more stuff to do. And, and if you feel that way, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to listen today, but, but still go back to those previous messages and, and see how God wants us to feed ourselves uh, with his word and, and to have that relationship with him that is so strengthening and uh, so important in our walk with Christ. As I said, t- today's message is going to be really about personal ministry. Call it what you want, but at the end of the day, I- I'm going to start by calling it work. And my question for you is, do you have a work ethic? When you think of the work that you do, and if you do have a work ethic, whether it's good or bad, where did you get it from? As I think about my work ethic and, and the way that we think about work today, I think it's influenced a little bit by work that we see on television. And so I, I think of two specific series that, that remind me of where I got my work ethic, and one of them is Deadliest Catch, and the other one is the world's dirtiest jobs. And, and those two kind of together summarize where I got my work ethic from. First of all, deadliest catch. I, I was not on a fishing boat or anything like that. But, but growing up, where I did in Wisconsin with being right on a farm and helping out on a farm on a regular basis, it was very dangerous and, and deadly, literally deadly. And one of the reasons why is because I remember at a very early age finding out what a power takeoff on a tractor was. And if you didn't grow up on a farm, you might not know what that is. But on the back of tractors, there, there's a, something that spins really fast. And, and you hook up the, 
things to this power takeoff. And so if you have a, a mower and you hook this thing up, it's about six feet long. It looks like a drive shaft, very heavy. It's, it's hard. A kid can't lift it. Uh, you have to be pretty strong in order to hook it up. But it's the thing. It, it spins like a drive shaft on a car. And what it does is it spins. If you have a mower attached to the tractor, it spins the blade. If you have a manure spreader attached, it, it spreads. It's the thing that spins so the spreader works. If you have a chopper, it's the thing that spins so the chopper works. And the thing about it is, is it hooks up on the back and, and you can just go walk right up to it. And as a kid, I remember watching it because it spins so fast. And, and watching it, it it's, it's spinning so fast that it looks almost like it's not spinning. And you just want to go up and you want to touch it. And you're taught at a very early age, get away from there, don't touch it. Because if you grew up on a farm, everybody, everybody who grew up on a farm knew someone who lost a finger in, in one of those power takes off, takeoffs. One, once a summer, a, a farmer, a farmer who had been in farming for a long period of time and knew better, would wear a, a piece of clothing that was a little loose and might be working on a piece of equipment and lean over the power takeoff. And if your shirt got caught, you're done. You, literally, you're, you're done. You're dead. That it, would, it was horrible and, and deadly and something that was always there. So because they would try to keep us safe, they would get us away from the deadly job and give us the dirty job. And so the dirty job usually started in the barn because the, the, the cows would go in the barn every day. And when I say the cows would go in the barn every day, I don't mean, just mean they would walk in the barn every day. And because of that, every day the barn would need to be cleaned. And so if it was getting the straw for the, the bedding or, or scraping out their stalls or or getting the barn cleaner going or, or after the barn cleaner was going, taking the manure spreader out, uh, it's, it stunk. I mean, it, it, was a, it was a stinky job. And, and then later in the day, it didn't get much better, especially in the summer. You were baling hay. The way we baled hay was one bale at a time. You'd have to stack them on the wagon, take them off of the baler, and stack them up until the wagon got nice and high. And then you'd have to take them back to the, to the farm and you'd have to put them in the barn. And, and, and the, the worst job was packing the hay mow. Because someone would be outside unloading the, those bales onto a, an elevator. And it would take them up to the very top of the barn. And take them to wherever you were stacking. And it just drops them off. I mean, it, it, from up above. And you better be watching. Because they're coming down. Uh, whether you're ready or not. And, and as they would come down, there would be this dust and this... Uh, I don't even know how to describe it, from the hay. And, and, and you'd be in there, it'd be 100 degrees and humid and, and just, it was, it was hard work. And, and I remember one day as we were in there loading, deciding, I want to go to school so I don't have to do this. And that was my work ethic. That was my work ethic as I went through school. I'm going to work hard so I don't have to do real work uh, my whole life. And when, and when we think about that, I think what can happen is, even though I think I did get a work ethic from being on a farm, understanding that the farmers need to be there 5 a.m., 5 p.m. every day. Every day to, to, to do the milking. They, they are there every day. The work needs to be done. And in between, their work needs to be done. 
that that impressed on me, that this idea of work, that the work is never done. But as we, we look at work, I think what has happened a little bit when we think of work, work then is something to be avoided, especially hard work, that, that you want to stay away from there, that, that it's a four-letter word, that, again, we go to school so we don't have to physically work so hard. And today what I'd like to do is challenge that. And one of the things that I'm going to use to challenge that is a little video uh, that kind of explains the, the, this war that we've waged on work. we made in the endless list of ways that I got it wrong. But what it all comes down to is this. I have formed a theory, and I'm going to share it now in my remaining two minutes and 30 seconds. It goes like this. We've declared war on work as a society, all of us. It's a civil war. It's a cold war, really. We didn't, we didn't set out to do it, and we didn't twist our mustache in some Machiavellian way, but we've done it. And we have waged this war on at least four fronts, certainly in Hollywood. The way we portray working people on TV, it's laughable. If there's a plumber, he's 300 pounds and he's got a giant butt crack, admit it. You've seen him all the time. That's what plumbers look like, right? Uh, We turn them into heroes or we turn them into punchlines. That's what TV does. We try hard on dirty jobs not to do that, which is why I do the work and I don't cheat. But we've waged this war on Madison Avenue. I mean, so many of the commercials that come out there in the way of a message, what's really being said? Your life would be better if you could work a little less, if you didn't have to work so hard, if you could get home a little earlier, if you could retire a little faster, if you could punch out a little sooner. It's all, it's all in there over and over again and again. Washington, I can't even begin to talk about the deals and policies in place that affect the bottom line reality of the available jobs because I don't really know. I just know that that's a front in this war. And right here, guys, Silicon Valley. I mean, how many people have an iPhone on them right now? How many people have their Blackberries on? We're plugged in. We're connected. I would never suggest for a second that something bad has come out of the tech revolution. Good grief, not to this crowd. (laughs) But I would suggest that innovation without imitation is a complete waste of time. And nobody celebrates imitation the way Dirty Jobs guys No, it has to be done. Your iPhone without those people making the same interface, the same circuitry, the same board over and over, all that, you know, that's what makes it equally as possible as the genius that goes inside of it. So we've got this new toolbox, you know. Our tools today don't look like shovels and picks. They look like the stuff we walk around with. And so the collective effect of all of that has been this marginalization of lots and lots of jobs. As we look at that, I think that the part of this, specifically as it relates to our message today, is, is the shift in the way I look at personal ministry. And the reason why is because I think sometimes we think we would be happy if we worked less, if, if we had things taken away from us. And maybe uh, this little change, this change to start, the shift in the way that I look at work, especially in the work that God has given me, this ministry that he has given me in my life. We are going to go right now as we look at this to Matthew chapter 14. 
If you'd like to look on your electronic device or your Bible or, or on the sermon notes, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 14, beginning with the 13th verse. This is a time where Jesus and his disciples go to work. We begin, when Jesus heard what had happened. Let's stop there for just a second. When Jesus heard what had happened, and what had happened was that John the Baptist was killed, that Herod beheaded him, and, and Jesus had just heard, someone had just come to Jesus and told him, John is dead. And John, John the Baptist, the one whose message was a message of repentance, to turn from your sin, that the, the Savior is coming, that he had heard that John was dead and, and was also told that Herod was looking for Jesus as well. And so on this day, when he, when he realized that John was dead, that Jesus also realized that his death was looming. His death, that would be the payment for sins of all time for all people, was going to be coming soon as well. And so when he heard what had happened, he, Jesus, withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. That's last week's message. Last week's message that we are told when, when these difficult times come in life, that that relationship we have with our Father, that, that ability to go to his word, to listen, to go in prayer, to speak, that is what Jesus needed. In those difficult days when the storms of life come, that is where Jesus went. But hearing this, so the people hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So what happened is you have the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus would have gone across the top by boat, and the people would have been able to walk around the shore, seeing that boat, kind of seeing where Jesus was going, going to this solitary place, going to the other side of the lake where no other people were, where no other towns were, in a hope that they could get close to Jesus. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus is having this bad day, wants to spend time alone, but realizes these people need him more. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Again, the disciples, you know, we, we've done all we can for these people. Now it's time, Jesus, to send them on their way. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Again, as we, we look at this lesson and, and think of it in terms of, of work, that it's impossible for us to talk about work without talking about people first and, and the way that we view people. And so in your notes, uh, the first shift that we need to have is a shift in the way that I look at people. And they are not a burden, but they are a blessing. They are a burden. People are not a burden. They are a blessing. 
I know I have to say that, but I'm telling you that is not the way I feel most days. If you want to hear me whine, uh, you can see a number of different times. I wish I didn't, but I do. Uh, One of the times I whine the most is when I have to go to Starbucks on 19th Avenue for our morning meeting. And we have our morning meeting at 8 a.m. And if anyone lives over where I do on 70th and Baseline, you know that in order to get to that Starbucks, you have to go by Betty Fairfax High School. So, uh, So when you go, of course, it goes from four lane to two lane. So it's this two lane road and it's always backed up for miles. And of course, that's the time when the, these semi-training whatever school decides they're going to get the semis to learn how to drive through traffic. And, and just going on this road, I'm like, are you kidding me? And then once you get through there, you get to 51st Avenue, which slows you down. But then you get to go through the fun all again when you get here by, by Chavez, going through all the people trying to drop their kids off until finally you get to Starbucks, and I hate being late, and... I have been uh, a couple times because it took me over a half an hour to drive uh, uh, on a drive that should take me 10 minutes tops. And so it would just be so much easier. You know what? I bet some of you people are in that traffic. It would be a lot easier if you just let me through and just get to where I need to go because people can be a burden. They're in my way. Another one that's very similar to that, 35th Avenue uh, Walmart, 35 minutes. I timed it. I was so frustrated is how long I waited in line. And as I'm in line at about 20 minutes, and I'm looking at my cart saying, how much of this do I really need? It, can I just like walk away from this? I was so frustrated. And I, I wasn't frustrated at all people, just people in front of me. And, and I just want them to be gone because People can be a hassle. And so it was on this day when Jesus just wanted to be alone, right? That's all he wanted. Is that too much to ask? Is just, I'm not asking you to do anything for me. I'm just asking you to leave me alone so I can go and I can have some time to process this of, of the death of this relative of mine, the death of this person who's closest in ministry to me and understand the impact that it has on me. But there are other people who are also burdens in our life that we don't always look at them as blessings. Children, let's face it, that that we look at them sometimes, they're like a little emotional vampires that, that can come into our lives and they just, they want this attention right now. And it's the dad, we need this, we need that. And it's like, enough. All I want, just like Jesus, right? Just leave me alone. I'm not even asking you to do anything for me, except just sit there and be quiet and watch TV for 10 minutes. Just have some quiet. But no, but all of those different things. So it's difficult. We love you kids, though. It's good. We, we do love you. But, and we need to be, be reminded that they are a blessing from God. And it's not just that. It can also be individuals as they get older in life, uh, after they've retired, at at a time when it it becomes clear that their time on earth might be drawing to a close, that they become a burden. It's such a burden to have to go to the nursing home to see them, such a burden that we, we have to help them. 
And in our, our, our message, in Jesus' message, it's a reminder that they are a blessing. Now, as we think about this, what, what really made me think about this as we look at it in terms of work is this. My definition of work is work is something that I do that benefits other people. And so when I go to work, that's the reason somebody pays me to do it, is because they are getting something out of it, and that's when I go to work. So work is is when someone else benefits from what I do. As opposed to a different type of work, something else I do, when I do it to serve myself, and that I call entertainment. And see, this is the thing about it is we can do things with work. We're just so overworked. Are you kidding me? We have so many things to do. But when it comes to uh, something that's for myself, we're willing to do it. And right now it's escaping me. What is the name of the video game that just came out? Rob, help me out. Grand Theft Auto 5, my goodness, it wouldn't come out of my brain. Grand Theft Auto 5. Do you realize that as of right now, over $1 billion has been spent on that game? $1 billion. And, and people are, are willing to do it. They're standing in line to get these games. They can't get it soon enough. Why? And why are they willing to pay the 60 bucks or whatever it costs? Because that's for me. Another individual, I went online, a guy made $1,500 this past week. You know how he made $1,500? Standing in line for other people so that they could get their new iPhones. Which they're happy to do and happy to pay for because that's entertainment. So we look at other people, right? How dare they do that? But I'm telling you, I am just as bad. Just this past week. We had growth group, and in the growth group, the question was, uh, what is a time you've been on TV or had like a little, maybe been on the news or something like that? And I was three years ago on Black Friday. It was 10 degrees when I left house on my house on Thanksgiving Day at about 4 o'clock, and I went to Target. That night, it got down to 10 below zero, but I wanted a flat-screen TV. And there was this door buster. So I waited 10 below zero for 13 hours in order to get $200 off a TV. And I was thrilled. I was like the happiest guy in town. And they interviewed me because I was right up against the door in my lawn chair in my deer hunting clothes. Absolutely. If I'm getting something out of it, I'm in. Two weeks ago, I went up to Flagstaff. I left at 4 a.m. to go scouting elk. And I don't even have an elk license. I just went up there because I, I wanted to go with someone who was doing it. I'm happy. 4 a.m.? Are you kidding me? I'm in. Count me in. The whole day, driving back, accident on I-17, waited an extra hour and a half in traffic. I don't care. It was great. Saw a lot of elk. But would I be willing to sit by the door of Chavez for 13 hours so that I could get into Crosswalk Kids and be a large group leader? You kidding me? That's work. Do I want to have to get up early? I'm 7 a.m. People are here to set up. You kidding me? On a Sunday, I can't get up that early. Uh, I, got, I got better things to do. 
work versus entertainment. And the thing that is the distinction is self-serving. If it's for me, I'm willing to do it. And, And that is what the sinful nature is all about. That is what God looks at. And when he condemns sinfulness and sinful man, selfishness in in sinful man, that is exactly what he's talking about. And it's something that all of us are guilty of. And this is the part of it that that in our reading that, that blows my mind the most. Is that, you know, the disciples were guilty of this, okay? That they they wanted to do what they wanted to do. But so were the 5,000 people who came over to Jesus in the first place. They were being self-serving. They wanted something from Jesus. And Jesus, looking at these people who who had their priorities messed up and were so self-serving, he had compassion on them. And he taught them and he healed them. And he does the same for you. And I am telling you, if you want to change the way that you look at people, it's going to be a start. The the only way for that to happen is to change the way that you look at yourself washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You were, I was, we are a burden. Let's face it. That Jesus had to come and pay for our sins. But he didn't look at us that way. Rather as a blessing, someone for whom he willingly gave his life. And when you start to look at yourself that way, you can begin to look at others that way as well. Oh my goodness. It means on my ride to Starbucks... To look at this traffic as people loved by Jesus Christ. And maybe my attitude towards them will change. And maybe my willingness to let someone in will change. But we continue. Let's continue as we go on from there. What, what happens? Uh, Matthew 14, 15, and 16. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. So you have this huge problem. This huge problem is they're in this remote place. The people have walked there. Most of them weren't planning on it. There were no foods. There were no city. There's just no way that these people are going to be able to get food. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about if 15,000 people came to Levine. and, And let's say they came to 51st Avenue and Baseline. Do you think... All those restaurants there could handle 15,000 people? No, there'd still be lines. I mean, even if they went to the grocery stores and all that, that's just a ton of people to have to serve in a short amount of time. So to think that these 15,000 people could go to a a, a small village of 200 and be fed, it's just not going to happen. And and the disciples knew that, and basically what they were saying is, we don't want this problem to be our problem. And so what Jesus told them is they needed a shift that problems turn into opportunities. Problems turn into opportunities. And again, at Crosswalk, we, we do this. We have a problem in our community. The problem is kids go trick-or-treating. It's dark. They can get hit by cars. Neighborhoods aren't always safe. What a great opportunity for trunk-or-treat. Another one during Thanksgiving. 
There are families that are going hungry, that aren't going to be having a, a Thanksgiving meal. That's a problem. No, it's not. It's an opportunity. An opportunity to do feed a family, to go and reach out to them, to identify their need and come to them and help them in some way. There are also other problems which are opportunities at Crosswalk. At Crosswalk Kids, great opportunity. There are classes that are so big we need to divide them. So many kids are coming that, that we don't have enough leaders to, uh, to teach those rooms. That's a problem, but it's an opportunity because it's an opportunity for you. An opportunity to get involved and help in some way. And so as you look at the problems that we face, look at them as opportunities. The disciples, once they did that, uh, okay, we have this opportunity, but we don't have resources. Uh, This is what they said. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. So, okay, Jesus, that's great. We have this opportunity, but we don't have enough resources. Help us. And a very telling one from Judges 6.15 is is Gideon. When, When Gideon is called by God to serve, he says, God, excuse me, God, God, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. I'll be with you. From these, we learn that God has me serve in impossible situations to grow my faith in him. And as he does that, he doesn't want me to work harder. He wants me to work smarter. Impossible. God puts us in impossible situations. When you look in the Bible and read Bible accounts from that perspective, think of Abraham. Put in an impossible situation. You're 75 years old. You're going to have a baby. I can't do that, God. And then he waited 25 years. God said, absolutely, I'm going to put you in this possible situation so that, Abraham, you make it, it is so clear that when you do have a child that comes from me and when you realize that only God can answer that prayer and do the impossible, then God will be given praise and your faith and trust in him and in his promises will grow. David with Goliath, the, the, the disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven, there were 11 of them. Hey, here's the, here's the plan, guys. You, you're going to go into all the world and preach the good news to all people. They can't do that. It's a bad plan, God. It's a, great, it's, a, it's a problem, which I guess is an opportunity because people need to hear the gospel. But there's no way we can do it. And when we realize that, God says, good, I have you right where I want you. In an impossible situation that that you must rely on me. And when we have no other thing to do but trust in God, our faith in him when he answers grows. He doesn't want me to work harder. He wants me to work smarter. He didn't say to his disciples when they brought the the five loaves and two fish, you guys need to, to go make some fishing poles. He didn't say, you know what, we need to start making sandwiches. See if you can find some peanut butter and jelly. We'll make it last a little longer. But no, 
that the smarter part of our work is when we go to the Lord and understand the distinction of the things that only he can do and then the things that he has called us to do. That's what the disciples did. And then we begin to look at ourselves differently as well. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're God's handiwork. The the reason why he made you is to do work, his work. That handmade us specifically, each one of us differently, to do his will. The next one, very similar, says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. why God made you. God handmade me. God handmade you to do ministry. God handmade you to do work. Say however you want. It's his work, but it's work. It's work. It's truly work in the sense that you are doing things that are serving God and serving others. And I would argue that, that in our lives, one of the reasons why we feel a sense of emptiness and frustration is because we are so close to it, except we are using the gifts that God gave us not to serve others and him, but when we use it to serve ourselves, there's an emptiness and a lack of fulfillment that we keep trying. We try to itch where that scratches, but it just just doesn't happen. Maybe I'd say it this way. Phil said something about trunk or treat of having classic cars here, something like that. I don't like it when people bring classic cars to, to look at. I don't like when they bring muscle cars to look at. I like driving them. That's what I like. It's like, seriously? I don't want to sit. Give me the keys. I, I just went over... Uh, this was right before we came down here, went over to see my nephew, and he had just gotten a brand new Corvette. And he said, hey, you want to sit in it? I said, no, I want to see how fast it goes. Let's go. Giddy up. And because that's what those, those cars are meant to, to drive. And so on a closed track, we will we'll see how fast it goes. Or, or if you go to, you see a horse in a corral. That's great watching the horse run around. The horses aren't meant to be in corrals. They're meant to run. And when you see them run or go to a, a zoo and you see animals that are caged in, and that, that's fine, I guess, but that's not in their habitat, and that's not what they're meant to do. And so it is with Christians. I, I just, when we're not doing what God made us to do, there's a certain amount of sadness to it. That, that when you're not, I don't want to say reaching your potential because that sounds like some help, self-help book. But when you're not doing what God handmade you to do, there's going to be a a, a certain amount of emptiness and a a certain amount of frustration in your life. So he gives you work. The last verse from Matthew 14. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. There's another part of this that, that as you read it, and, and you can read it through this again, 
that when Jesus got the, the five loaves and the two fish, they gave them to Jesus. Then Jesus gave the pieces to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And that's the way ministry works. That God gives us gifts, and then we use those gifts to dispense to people. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. That we take what God has given each one of us and we share it with those who are in need. That we recognize these opportunities and we take advantage of them. And when things like that happen, Jesus still works miracles through our service. He still works miracles through our service. And this is the part, maybe this is the secret at Crosswalk that we need to to make sure that the secret is not kept a secret. That's this. I already mentioned Crosswalk Kids. There's miracles done there every Sunday. I don't know if you guys realize that. The people who volunteer at Crosswalk Kids, in the truest sense of the word, work miracles. And they work miracles by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, working through the power of that word, creates trust in the hearts of children. That is the definition of a miracle. Because it's, it's something that, that human ability cannot happen. And, and they, they do that every week. Miracles are worked. There are miracles worked other places too. Where people like you and me take what Jesus has given us and share it with others. And people grow in the faith. That's some pretty impressive stuff. And God's encouragement to you today is to be part of it, to have a shift. The final one in the blank is God uses work to get me done. God doesn't use me to get work done. Let's face it, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need any one of us. So the question is, if God doesn't, God doesn't need us, why does he use us? Why does he put this work in front of us? And the answer is, is that God uses work to get you done. And so as we look at, at, at these, especially work that's impossible work, that he puts us in these impossible situations with, with problems we don't know how we're going to solve, so that we stand there completely broken, looking only to him for help. And he answers our prayers. And just to be honest, I hate being in that position. I'm a control guy. I mean, I'd like to make sure that whatever goals that I make, I can reach. When I think like that, God looks at me, and, and I don't know if he laughs or cries, or maybe a little bit of both. And the same is true with you. I know it's not. I'm not asking you to be comfortable. If you want to be comfortable or, or try that, go the entertainment realm. Use what you have to serve yourself to make your life comfortable. And I'm telling you, when you do that, it's a dead end, and it's not going to happen in, in the way that you think it will. It, it's going to be that itch that you cannot scratch. But rather, look at this work, this opportunity, recognizing what Christ has done for you, and using that to serve others. When you do that, you are doing what God has handmade you to do through Jesus Christ. Have that shift. That shift in, in the way that you, you look at your relationship with Christ, your shift in the way that you look at people. And I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that it will shift the way you look at these opportunities to serve God in your life. Amen.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have come to us even in our selfishness when all we want to do is work to serve ourselves and and you come and you forgive us and you change us and and you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to to make us new. And now this morning, I I would ask that you uh, would help every person here as they look at their communication card and they think about their next steps and about the ministries that are here at Crosswalk or ministries that are outside of Crosswalk, wherever it is, that you develop in them a servant's heart, uh, a heart that, that looks at what Christ has done for them and says, Lord, let me take from what you have given to me and, and in return be generous and, and serve others. Lord, we know that you can do this. We pray that you will do it. And we pray that you are with us through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So before we close, if you want more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. I don't know if you know this, but on a weekly basis, there are usually in the neighborhood of 140 to 145 people who volunteer at Crosswalk, which is, which is great. It's about 40% of the number of people who worship on a Sunday morning, which is good. But at the same time, that means six out of 10 aren't. And, and as you look at it, uh, This Sunday is not about asking you to put on a Superman cape and and solve the problems of the world. But what it is, is is again, looking at what God has given to you, taking inventory and then saying, you know what, Lord, with what you have given me, help me to serve others. And, And when you do that in ministry, the way that God has intended, it does, it works miracles, miracles that, that we are able to see in our lives. And it's, it's what God has made you to do. And so uh, go in joy, go in peace doing that. And finally, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Now as you go, a reminder, uh, the Lord's Supper at 1230. And have a great day.